Welcome back to the Village Bonfire for another episode of the Wild Sacred Journey podcast. A podcast not just for your mind, but for your body and spirit too. Here we don't just talk theory. Instead, we compassionately engage with our lived experiences and a wide variety of topics together, all to invite the question, in these times we find ourselves in, how do we be more human? Thank you for being here. May these conversations awaken, inspire, repair, and evolve something deep within each of us and serve the wild, tender aliveness of our personal and collective hearts. Wonderful. Welcome back to another episode of the Wild Sacred Journey podcast. And so we're just going to begin as we always do with taking a couple deep breaths in and out together. Just acknowledging whatever we're bringing into the conversation today, whatever we're coming in with, not needing to fix it or change it. There is nothing wrong. And yet sometimes we can get caught up in sort of those louder sensations, the louder thoughts, the louder emotions. And so while we acknowledge those, we're also making space for something a little quieter, a little more subtle, a little more tender. Hmm. Maybe even become aware of your back body especially with screens and technology, we spend a lot of time in our front bodies, <laughs> energy forward. And so oh, let yourself just drop back. Sometimes for me, the image comes almost like I'm leaning back in a porch chair with all the time in the world, a nice glass of either lemonade if it's hot or warm tea or if it's cold. And as we do that, we open our bonfire. I'm lighting our candle, a sense of village coming together. Each of us leaning back, nowhere to rush off to, nowhere to be, nothing to fix. And so as we invite in our village, remember too, our village is also our ancestors, the ones who came before us and the ones who will come after us. It's our friends, our family, our beyond human kin, the animals, insects, amphibians, trees, plants, geological features, the mountains, the fields, the rivers, the oceans, the rain, the stars, the clouds, the sun, the moon, things below ground too, that wide, vast network of creepy crawlers, <laughs> of soil, of compost, of fungi. And so we say, welcome, welcome, welcome to the wide web that we are a part of, each of us individually and collectively. 
So that feels particularly sweet as I get ready to welcome in my guest today, Micah. Micah has been a good friend of mine since high school. We have known each other a long time. <laughs> um, we've both been on our journeys, separate journeys in many ways since then. And yet we seem to keep finding sort of similar growth and points of connection and um one of the things I just have always loved about Micah is that he's someone who's just passionately committed to joy and, um, and to healing also, and to like being curious and questioning and just being on the journey for himself and then also the larger world. And I just feel like he has just so much love in his heart and he just pours it out into the people and things around him. And, um, so I really wanted to have him on the podcast, um, partly because I think it's important to have different experiences, opinions, and perspectives, and also partly just in honor of like, the. it feels like as somebody who has identities in sort of the world and blackness and in queerness and in maleness, that sort of that commitment to joy, that commitment to love, that commitment to healing, that commitment to, um, to just uplifting is, is a particularly revolutionary and beautiful act. And so, um, yeah, I wanted to have him, I'm so excited to have him on to just kind of share about his life and his stories and his voice and his experiences and his opinions and perspectives and, um, about the village, about healing, about being more human. So welcome, Micah. Oh, hi, Kate. Thanks so much. <laughs> oh my God. I love that intro. I, that was, beautiful thank you <laughs> yeah I'm so happy to be here thanks for coming <laughs> of course <laughs> like when I got the invitation I was like I have to join have to yeah yeah oh awesome I love it um yeah so one of the ways I like to start these episodes is asking people then you know in cultures around the world traditionally people would introduce themselves with like lineage and family names or somehow other markers that help the the, the people they're meeting come to kind of know them and where they fit in the social fabric of things. So I want to give you an opportunity sort of, yeah, beyond our, our sort of professional westernized way of like introducing ourselves by like what we've achieved, you know, in life. Um, how would you sort of like to intro yourself to people based off of just kind of more who you are and how you be in the world and like, whatever that is, roles, locations, legacies, ancestors, lineage, identities. Yeah. What is that for you? I love it. Um, well, I am descended from generations of, uh, of Black and Indigenous people from, from uh, North Carolina. Um, my mom's side is from the coast of Bloomington, Riceville Beach area. My father's side is a little more inland in uh, Sampson County. Um, on my father's side, um, the Petersons, they are, they, they're half black and half indigenous and, and also is white as well. And there was a lot of mixing for generations. Um, one of the things that my grandmother used to tell me all the time is that her family were, were never slaves. Um, they were never enslaved. And she was very proud of that, that. And she was actually able to trace her lineage back to the 1700s, which again, for a brown person, that's almost unheard of, right? So yeah. there is that there is that pride that I carry with me. Um, I'm also 
originally from Arizona um, and it, it, from Phoenix. And Phoenix, at the time I was born, had maybe four or five percent black people in it. There were only two churches, and we all black people went to one of the two. And I recall as a child being told, um, so on my mom's side, all of her family, all of my cousins were delivered um, by pretty much by the same doctor in the same hospital. <laughs> but I was always reminded I was not that one. Um, that I was from Arizona, I was a different one. They were all born, they were all born in New Haven and I wasn't. And I remember being told, we reminded constantly that I was not born in Connecticut. And I think having that combined with the fact that I was, you know, you know, most almost always the only black person in the classroom, uh, sometimes the entire school. Um, and, and of course I was queer, even though I didn't know what that was at the time. But I think knowing that I, I always felt different because of that. I always knew that there was something different about me because I I was othered in many ways just because of who because of the circumstances of my, of my birth. Mm. Um, but I but I love that about me. I think it may be who I am. Mm. Mm. I love that. Yeah. So how do you feel like? Yeah. How has that sense of like being othered? You know, because I think that's you know we're we're biologically and hormonally hardwired right to like <laughs> like on a nervous system level that like deep primal nervous system level to like look for community and to look for a sense of belonging and so how did that you know it sounds like you know as you said you've come to love that that sense of that otherness about you and yet that probably wasn't always easy and what did that journey kind of look like or feel like Oh, it was awful. Um, I, I I remember like I it's something I still struggle with, and I'm very thankful for my therapist for it. But I I realized that for so long I there was always an issue of not feeling like other people trusted me or trusted other people's like how people like showed up for me. Um, there was always a sense that I had to have a bigger personality, you know, really show out to like show people that I'm worthy of their love and their time mm-hmm. and you know, I think that the way, like my way that my personality is, is because of that, because I mm-hmm. felt that like I was never enough, that like I didn't feel worthy mm-hmm. of that. But it's funny though, because, you know, as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that that's like, because of those traits that I have, like I have this joy that like, that seeps out of my pores that like, that people they're like, oh, like that's just how Micah is. And like but it's, it comes from insecurity. <laughs> it comes from feeling like I don't belong, and it took so long to recognize that like I do belong. Um, and it really wasn't until I got into my twenties and like my early thirties I realized that no, like people do show up for me and they do care about me. Um, it was actually funny. Like I remember, actually, I think you were there. So we had our ten-year high school reunion. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. And I just remember, um, so, okay, so back in high school, so my senior year, I, I tried out for the football team because I was like, you know, trying to butch it up. And I just remember at the 10 year reunion, I remember like guys coming up to me being like, we thought that was so brave of you that you tried for football. And I was like, really? Like you, you, you noticed? Like it, it, it just really warmed my heart. Um, just like to notice, like to, to, it took 10 years before to realize that people actually like noticed me and cared about. So I just really thought that that was not the case. Hmm. Yeah, that's such a powerful testament to like how much the stories we tell ourselves in our mind affect what we actually see in our environment. 
Mm, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's crazy. Like, I just, like, I really thought that, like, I didn't have that many friends in high school. Like, mm. I, like I had you, obviously, but, like, I didn't think I had that many. And then, like, all these folks were just coming out of the world, like, oh, like, duh, like, of course we're friends. It's like, oh, like, I just assumed that you tolerated me. I didn't know you actually cared about me. Yeah. Mm. One of the, in, in a earlier podcast episode I had with um, a friend of mine who works with plant medicines and helping people integrate plant medicine ceremonies. She was talking about the, the difference, like the path of poison and the path of medicine kind of. And, and it is, it's like that idea of like our, our wounds can either keep hurting us or they can actually become our gifts, you know? And I'm hearing that mm. so much in what you're sharing right now of like, you know, that sense of otherness and the hurt that that caused and like sort of the genuine pain and suffering that that sort of created within yourself. And then I'm sure that sort of then appeared. And so that like, yeah, how much like the joy and the things that are beautiful about you kind of originally may have started as coping mechanisms, right? As like yes. attempts to feel worthy <laughs> as like attempts to, to belong, to fit in, to make yourself like more likable, you know, all of those kinds of things that we do. And I've done, I've done all of that too, you know, in different, maybe slightly different ways, but certainly, yeah. I mean, I, I can relate a lot to what you're sharing, even though maybe our, the circumstances around our sense of otherness might have been different. And yet like mm -hmm. who can't relate to feeling outside and to feeling other in some way, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. you know, and, and, and yet, yeah. And so like, you know, I think sometimes on our healing journeys, when we start them, we start to become aware of like all, the, all the shit we did that like, maybe we weren't doing from the right place. Totally. Like I was being, I was being nice, but was I being kind, you know? And like, yes, I was like, like <laughs> yeah. Right. And then, you know, and so it, it can, I mean, that in and of itself can feel really destabilizing. I feel like when we start our journey and we start to realize that maybe our motives for all of the things that we did, the things that have gotten us positive reinforcement, right? Because people are probably, it probably worked to a certain extent. People were like, oh my gosh, Micah was so nice. Oh my gosh, Micah was so brave. Oh my gosh, Micah was so bubbly and out there, you know? And like, and, and so we do, we get positive reinforcement for these things that we start to do when like maybe because we're sort of subtly trying to manipulate or we're just kind of mm -hmm. just trying to survive right in a world where yeah. we don't feel like we can um yes. and then yeah and so it it's yeah do you remember that moment in your journey like what when you first started to kind of realize like oh maybe I wasn't always doing that from like the right place like what was oh, that like absolutely I mean I think it was really um like I have a therapist and like I started seeing I started going to my therapist when I was when I turned 30 which is Saturn return prime time to start seeing a therapist I mean you see before but <laughs> definitely I started return um and I I remember I, we had multiple conversations where I was like am I actually the person I see I am mm. is this all a facade am I actually not a nice person um and I think for so long I prided myself on being the nice person but I didn't know if that was actually a genuine version of me. And like, and I think it was tap, it was definitely tapping into like my own sadness, my own grief. And I think for a moment I had to ask myself, like, is that actually is that sad person actually the real me? Mm. And that scared me. Mm. Um, but mm. I've kind of, I've come to the realization that yes, I mean, some of these things were coping mechanisms that were developed over millennia. Well, millennia, I'm not that old, but like <laughs> over well. 
Anyway, um, humanity. Yeah. Humanity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Humanity's developed these scoping mechanisms over millennia. Exactly. Yeah. It's like it just like seeped into me. Um, yeah. But this is this is who I am, and I like I don't know how to be anyone else, right? Mm. And like, I think like I have to recognize that like I I was put into these circumstances to become the person I am today, mm. and I would not want to change it. Mm. I mean, I, I've had some. I've had a lot of lot of shit happen, and like. But I love who I am now. Like, mm-hmm. I would not trade it because I don't know who that other person would be. Yeah. Yeah, I can say, like, as someone who's known you for, like, actually that whole time period, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, like, <laughs> it is true that your your joy feels very different now than it did back in high school, you know? And I, I'm also in a different place, so I'm probably reading mm-hmm. and sensing it in a different way than I did back then. I had my own shit going on back right, then. Right, right, like, right. The, yeah. <laughs> Um, and yet, yeah, it feels like, um, I don't know for me, like in my practice, I can really feel when someone's emotions has like roots, I guess I would say like when their joy has roots versus when it's kind of more like a projection, like, uh, like, a Mm. a a mask or like kind of a screen they're kind of putting between them and the world. And yeah, I feel the, I feel the roots in your joy right now. It's like, it comes from deep down in you welling up. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I mean, it's been, I would say like, I, I do have joy. And mm-hmm. I think that there's like, I think for so long, I wasn't sure if I had it. And I think mm-hmm. like this past year has been, I, I, I definitively can say I have joy and I just, mm-hmm. I see the world differently. It's almost like I have like different glasses. On. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, like I've been, I've been wearing the wrong prescription all this time. Like, <laughs> you know, just amazing. <laughs> Love that analogy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I just had this image of like when you're getting tested for glasses you know and they're like a or b you know and they're like one or two and they're like flipping those little things and you're supposed to yeah say which are better so yeah you gotta you gotta do sometimes that healing journey is a lot of that like a or b now one or two right Right. you're like three or four like one more time three or four (laughs) you're like I don't know it's all the same (laughs) yeah oh yeah well I just Mm, yeah, I just want to give a moment actually for like what you've been sharing, because it is really deep and, and um, just kind of give space for, for, for your words to kind of breathe here for a moment and to just kind of ripple through for anyone listening. Um, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... I feel like I died multiple times mm, mm. and though, and that version, like knowing that that version of me died, mm. I'm able to have a new version of myself out there. Yeah. Um, and I'm thankful for that is, you know, previous aspirations, previous dreams, previous hopes are gone and I'm okay with that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That composting piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think that's the beauty of, you know, you were sharing about how first, when you first started to try and kind of, when you first found yourself questioning, like, am I a nice person? Am I a happy person? Am I like the person that I'm putting out there in the world, the person I say and think I am, you know, and when you first start questioning that, you know, what comes up is this sad person, this unhappy person, this, you know, all those other things that we've been maybe trying to avoid, like you were talking about the grief and, you know, and, um, And at first it can feel really like maybe that is all of who we are because it just feels so big because we've been ignoring it for so long. And, 
And, and I think this kind of starts to transition us a little bit. Like I know you're passionate about village and community and that whole thing, you know, we don't have communal rituals for those types of experiences, for those types of emotions. And so I think our, our, our sort of overculture does us an enormous disservice because it makes us feel like we have to always be nice and happy in order mm -hmm. to belong because there's no there's no community practices for being anything other than that. And it's like, if, if when something happened, if we all came together and like grieved together and, you know, I remember I've been taking this um, songs of ancient songs of, of mother Europe class. And so, you know, mm -hmm. we've been doing some Irish singing and, you know, at one point in the last round that we just did, we got to do some keening, you know, and that practice of like, the like the wailing of the grief right and like oh, and wow. we see that in indigenous cultures around the world you know where there is still some connection to some of those and and we see too that one of the first steps in colonization from any culture is to outlaw those types of practices you know mm. and so like in i i think and i could be wrong about this but i think i remember reading or hearing somewhere that like part of why bagpipes were created in scotland was because like the practice of keening was outlawed at one point and so, so again, oh, I could wow. be wrong about that. I think I, I'm not positive, but it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> not so right. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, it's the same, like in a lot of places, like the drums get outlawed and the songs get outlawed because, you know, those instruments and those communal rituals are ways of connecting to our village, our ways of connecting mm. to the land, our ways of having this communal relationship with each other. And, you know, in colonization, one of the quickest ways to, to, to take people over is to cut them off from their own culture and cut them off mm. from the land and cut them off from each other. Yeah. And, you know, and so, yeah. So I guess turning it over, yeah, <laughs> back to you. I don't have a question there, but just. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, something that I think is so fascinating, like I, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a little dark, but like, I think one of the ways that I always find, like, and I, I also preface by saying, I, mean, I, I have yet to do this, but I think one of the ways to like this really see someone is to go to a funeral with somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think like, because funeral practices are so personal and so mm -hmm. community, that I really think that's like a way to like, like if you really want to know somebody, I feel like you need to go to like a funeral with them. And like mm -hmm. you can see how that experience is yeah. for their group. Um, it's also like, I think, letting someone see your grief mm -hmm. in that, on that level mm -hmm. is like, I think it's just so profound. Yeah. And I think it's just a way to just build closeness. Um, but I feel at the same time, there's like, we just, as a community, we just like, we just don't do that, right? Like, also like, I don't want people dying, right? But like, obviously we're humans. It happens. It happens eventually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. right, right. I mean, we're not vampires, so, and even yeah. though they can die too. So, um, yeah, like, I mean, there's something about having that opportunity to like witness someone yeah. grieving like yeah that. um and yeah I just think it's so fascinating to experience that because it's something that you just don't do like you might go you'll go to a wedding but like that's a joyous moment like to see someone else's grief I think yeah. that's really that's the, that's the community like building that I think we really need yeah well because a more, a more indigenous approach to grief is understanding that like the veils are like sort of thinner between worlds for the people who are most intimately connected with the person who passed right and mm -hmm. so like the people they most immediately left behind are deep in grief and and there's sort of there's almost like um 
our sense of the solidity and stability and sort of linearness of the world, like that, that the human part of us can kind of grasp kind of gets like torn a little bit in that moment. Right. And big emotions are coming out, but also it sort of opens us to being transformed in a way, you know, and I think that's the gift of grief is, you know, grief, grief is just love that is like washing clean something old. Right. Mm. And so like when, and, and like cleaning the wound so that there's clean pain instead of dirty pain and like, right. Mm. Like that kind of stuff. And so, so it's like, you know, when you were sharing about when your therapy and, and sort of that place of maybe I'm not the person I think I am or want the world to think I am. And like, what if I'm not? And what came up was grief and grief is like how we love ourselves in those moments when, when everything else that we sort of thought we believed was true or thought we believed Mm. was stable is like kind of coming undone. Right. And like, and then the beauty is that if we can ride the wave and it's easier to ride the wave with other people, with someone holding the container, right. Because if you'd been Mm -hmm. by yourself in that question without the therapist or without, you know, some sort of person who has the capacity to hold space for you in that moment and to kind of hold a container for you so that there's some context and some sense of safety for you to go into it, you probably wouldn't have gone into it because it would have felt so big and overwhelming and scary that you wouldn't have been sure you'd come out the other side again. And so then you just keep avoiding. Yeah. (laughs) And just like turn to alcohol and drugs. And like, that's, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Because that is pretty much the only way our overculture tells us is acceptable to like handle those things. That is like actually the socially normalized response to big emotions Mm -hmm which exactly. is crazy to me, but like that, that we think somehow that these types of conversations are woo woo and strange, but we think that like numbing through alcohol and drugs is normal. I'm like, <laughs> like no, we, like, you know, n- n- not shaming, but like also, yes. like, no, we need to be able to like connect right. and like be able to like have those moments. Um, and like, yeah, I'm so grateful um, to have had like that protection of, you know, a therapist and like having like, because like, the last few years in particular have been really grief stricken and mm. have being able to, you know, I've gone through that initial period when I was 30, like build up myself and understand myself more. So then when this other stuff happened, I was, I was like, I was prepared for it in a way mm. that I wasn't anticipating. And mm. I think it made the transition of who I am and, you know, realigning myself that much easier. Mm. Um, and also just, I, I wasn't as afraid. I think yeah, to like to jump into that um and like to make the like and to make decisions that actually benefited me in a way that I was not anticipating at all and yeah I feel like I'm winning in a way that I would not have done if I had got done all this work before so yeah like, you know, I, I think like my past I'm, I'm I'm thinking past Micah for doing the work <laughs> mm. if he hadn't I don't know what I would be doing right now yeah I love that. I hear a lot of times from clients, you know, and I know this from myself too, there sometimes are moments where, you know, we can feel dejected that like, here's that same shit again. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, here we are again. Here are those yeah. questions again. Why isn't this any better? And that mm-hmm. whole, like that we're not, it's not a circular path. It's like a spiral, you know, a path mm-hmm. and, you know, more like a funnel kind of thing. And so, yeah, we might come back again, but it's like a coil, you know, rather than like, we're not in the exact same place. And so, you know, I'm hearing you, yeah, kind of giving name to like the cumulative pieces of the work and sort of how 
it is good to step back sometimes and have that perspective of like, oh, right. Even though like life is hard and things keep happening, you know, like now I feel more resilient or I feel more tool, like I have more tools or, um, I feel more skillful in this or, um, stronger in this or, um, and sometimes even it takes almost having rough things happen again in order for us to see how far we've actually come, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I love, I love the word resilient. I think that's like spot on, like this idea mm. of just like, yeah, I mean, life's like, life's not easy. Right. And if it is, that's, that's boring. Like you, you want some <laughs> stuff to happen. Right. Um, so the fact that like things happened and then a few years later, like, Oh, still happening, but you were, you know, we're responding differently. Mm as we've gotten older now that we have more experience and we're more resilient to it like i i mean i feel i won't say i feel bad but i feel bad for people who like don't have things happen to them like you know, like you know don't you like like you can't handle stuff right i'm like mm-hmm. it's unfortunate i mean i i have to say i think because i am black and queer i and again also from just being otherized for so long like i feel like i'm resilient in a way that i know a lot of my peers aren't and i can mm-hmm. handle a lot more um, because of that and then add on all the other life <laughs> things happening in my life like it makes me even like more ready to like take on harder things and I'm mm. so appreciative of that like I feel like you know I'm you know I, I I'm just able to get through what I've gotten through because of that and I'm sure that like in 5 10 15 years something else is going to happen and because of all this work I've been doing I'm going to be able to handle that even better and potentially help out somebody who maybe just like wasn't able to have those experiences that could help them because I haven't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, there are a couple threads in sort of what you just shared that I, <laughs> I kind of want to follow, but I'm feeling like the first one to sort of follow. I think the first one to follow is, is actually, yeah, I want to sort of invite you if you're willing to share a little bit more about what this sort of most recent challenge has been. And then maybe even then within that, like, I mean, share it however you want and sort of whatever wants to come through. And also um, I'd like to invite if it feels good to sort of also maybe highlight then some of the ways that you feel like you handled it differently. You know, some of those, Mm. like some of those strong points, like how do we, how, cause I also curious, like, how do we know I mean, we know in our bodies, but also sometimes naming that feels good of like the difference between when we're feeling othered and when we feel belonging and like, what does belonging mm. actually feel like? And, and this might be belonging to yourself in these moments of challenge, but like, yeah. So anyway, I just want to, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, open absolutely. that offer up. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. Why, why be around the bush? And I, it's in the New York times. So we might as well talk about it. Um, <laughs> um, so um, four years ago, um, so four years ago, my grandmother, my grandmother on my dad's side, uh, she passed away. Um, we were at her funeral. We had to be passed after. And there was an incident where my brother um, accidentally killed my uncle. Um, and he's like my, my, he's like my, my brother's, I'm sorry, my dad's sister's husband. So it wasn't a blood, a blood relative, but still a member of the family. Um, it was my first time seeing a dead body. Um, so being, you know, I witnessed everything, you know, there was blood splatter on me. I remember, I remember just going to, go, you know, having to, you know, give witness statements and all this stuff. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was really traumatic. Um, and my brother was uh, put in jail pretty much immediately. He was in jail for six months. Um, sidebar, but I, I, so 
it's, it's only that I found out from one of my really good friends, Joe, he was telling me. Um, so the, everything happened in North Carolina. I flew back to New York like the next day and I thought I threw away my clothes and washed off and everything, but apparently I did not. I went up to meet with Joe at a bar and there was still blood on me. Mm-hmm. And he didn't say anything about it. Like I found out maybe like six months ago. And I think it just kind of shows the power of shock. Like I just had, I was just, I was in such shock that I had no idea that I still had blood on me. So the idea that I hopped on a plane, flew to New York, <laughs> hopped on the subway, <laughs> went to the bars <laughs> with blood on me wow. um, is my fault. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just again, like I like, you know, they say you do crazy things when you're in shock and now I know what that was. Um, but yeah, so we've just been going through this entire process. Um, COVID slowed things down considerably. Um, but we just had some family infighting, lots of confusion, misinformation. And although we thought we could get my brother out before sentencing, that didn't happen. He was offered a plea deal and he took it. So he is now, he's currently serving resident 13 years. Um, mm-hmm. But we are through the, and that was, he was sentenced in October of last year. Of 2021, and we are currently going through the process of a oh gosh, what's the worst post uh, post conviction post conviction release, whatever. So okay. basically, we have a we have a new lawyer team, legal team, that is reviewing the case to potentially to potentially drop the charges, um, or at least like at least lower the charges. Um, he was charged with second degree murder. Um, we all disagree that was second degree murder. Um, it should at least at the very least be manslaughter. Um, so we're potentially involuntary. Um, given the fact of the circumstances of the incident. So that has just been a big process. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, it was, yeah, it was, I mean, the entire thing was just a lot, you know, just like seeing my entire family just completely break down yeah. um, and just like, just like very, almost like not even like, just the fact that like, it was almost as if like, there was like a very clear party line over who was on what camp. Um, and mm. we still haven't recovered from it. And that mm. was four years ago. And like our, like that, the, my dad's side of the family, I would say is good broken. Um, mm. And, but, you know, we would love to, I would, I think it'd be great for us to come together, but I think the damage has been done. Um, but yeah, and it's just, I mean, I think just witnessing that was really hard. And I think yeah. through all of that, um, it was, there was an open question for me of like, what is family? Mm. Um, you know, and I think through that, I've had to, Learn to rely more on my chosen family, um, mm-hmm. and to have been so supportive um, through all of this. But there was it, one of the one of the side effects of all of this was I just really wanted someone to give me a hug, and I I started a process of just like trying to find a partner so freaking bad because mm-hmm. <laughs> like I just really wanted someone to be there with me to go through all of this, mm-hmm. and I think. One of the things, one of the big lessons for me from this entire time was, you know, learning that I am my own cavalry. Like, there's no one else going to come save me, right? Like, I can't keep waiting for like the white horse to arrive. Like, I, I am the white horse um, or black horse. Um, but like, I, like, I think that was like the really the biggest. The black fabulous me. horse. Yeah, just like, hey, oh, um, <laughs> just riding around. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that was like really the biggest lesson for me. It's just, and I think maybe that was the whole point of going through this whole process because I think maybe for so long I wanted someone else to be there for me, and I don't need that. And 
like I think the independence. I, I think what happened was that I like to I like to say that I'm an independent independent person, but I think like the, like through this process, like the universe is like, oh no no, you actually are independent. You don't need anyone else. Like literally. Um, so I'm really thankful for that as like the lesson that the universe like provided for me in all of this. But it was, I mean, I preferred it not to happen because of all this. But you know, if that's the lesson. I'm fine with it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all that. I just want to invite you and me and everybody listening to just take a couple of deep breaths because that's um, yeah it's a lot, you know, and, and, and there's room for that. And, you know, we also mm -hmm. like when we hear people share things like that, that really helps us know what our capacity is. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to also invite anybody listening to kind of check in. And if you're noticing that you're feeling, um, a lot in your body around what was just shared, you know, maybe you pause the podcast and come back to it later and take some deep breaths or just, like look around at your space right now, just with curiosity. And, you know, a lot of times we jump into wanting to tell people it'll be okay or to rush through to that lesson mm. or to kind of somehow fix what somebody's feeling, right? And that often has more to do with us and our own capacity than with the other person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, um, you know, I was thinking so much about sort of ancestral healing when you were sort of talking about this rupture in your family and, and you know, and, and um, yeah, and I mean, I hope that at some point that rupture can be repaired and it may not be in this generation, it may be too raw in, in this lifetime, and yet I send love and blessings to your lineage and your family line that that rupture be repaired at some point when the time is right. <laughs> Thank you. I hope so too. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe I could be the one to break a cycle in some way. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe this is a lesson for, you know, the, the ones after me to take, to take heed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, there's so much, you know, it's not only like, you know, it's that whole, and whether it's like in the microcosm right now of this example of your family, or whether we're looking at it macrocosmically in terms of mm -hmm. like um, colonialism and racism mm -hmm. and like other sorts of systemic oppression and systemic violence, you know, but we're all, like, it's all kind of that same thing of, of we're all both the people on the on the receiving end of the violence and the people on the giving end of the violence are actually, I don't want to say they're equally hurt because again, when it comes to systemic inequity, I know there's like some sensitivity around that word equally hurt, right? But, but, but there is harm done on both sides. Even the perpetrators of violence receive harm from the violence, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, um, you know, and it may not be in the same ways and it may not be, but, you know, but that, because we are all connected, we are all part of this fabric of things actually like beyond, you know, it's important to name our identities and the things that, that make us unique and different, because I think there's, especially when so much harm is through erase, trying to erase those actually, you know, it's important to name them. And yet at the same time, it's also important to acknowledge that like beyond all of that, there's, 
there are aspects of the human experience that are just universal, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. and there are who we are at our core is so much more connected than the things that make us seem different and the things that make us appear separate or divided. And, um, you know, and I think there's a piece too, for me, I'm hearing anyway, and what you're sharing that we're seeing that really like on the micro level within sort of this container of your family, you know, it's like it's one family. And yet, so there is much more that actually unites you guys than divides you. And yet at the same time, harm has been done. And so mm-hmm. how do we start to repair after rupture? And, yeah. um, and how do we mm-hmm. acknowledge that different people are going to have different, that repair is going to look different for each person involved in it and like create space because that's where then the ways in which we are unique and not the same actually start to come out is like my unique needs for repair are, would look different than your unique needs for repair, which would look mm-hmm. different than your brother's needs for repair, which would look different than, you know, um, the wife, you know, of, of your uncle's needs for, you know, it's all like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I think, I'm glad you brought that up. Like, I think one of the things that going back to to my needs for repair, um, I feel like my family fell into respectability politics. Like we just Mm -hmm. did not want to talk about the fact that this very tragic event happened. And Mm -hmm. just like, just seeing the way that we would talk about it, just seeing the way that, you know, you don't want to make sure like controlling the narrative like who knows what even though like if you literally google my brother's name you will see the story um so just like how all that played out Mm -hmm. i i think for me like i needed to talk about it i need to be out loud about it i Mm -hmm. needed to i need i needed other people to understand my grief yeah to hear my grief and 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 because of that I went to the Times um, and it was on the front page. Um, <laughs> everyone will know I'm sad, damn it. Um, and like, <laughs> like, but like, mm. I feel so much better now. And like, my yeah. friends, like, a few of my friends make fun of me for it. They're like, oh, yeah, like, that, of course, my kid did that. Like, because like, that's, that's what you wanted. You wanted people to know your grief. But I'm like, yeah, I want people to understand that I was grieving. And like, now you hear, now you heard it. <laughs> you saw it in black and white. Now you know. I'm better now. Like, that's what I needed. Mm. I needed you to know that I was grieving. Mm. Mm. Like, I wasn't allowed to do that in my family, I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe, I mean, I think that is part of how you start to break the chain, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you know, I remember reading somewhere that, yeah, like certain, I can't remember if they were talking about certain tribes in Africa, and maybe this starts to segue us to your your, as you call it, eat, pray, love trip, but, um, <laughs> the, you know, the, there's, um, and I think, again, this is sort of a more indigenous approach. So wherever indigenous, you know, all around the world, like approach of, if there was an incident like that, you know, my understanding is in the past when we still had more of a village, the whole village would come together and there would mm-hmm. be a communal space held, probably overseen by sort of the well leader, the medicine person, healer, shaman type person in the community. And then maybe also some of the civic leaders of the community, you know, but they're kind of be like the spiritual and health and wellness, like leader of the community. Right. And then they're kind Mm -hmm. of be like the civic leaders of the community. And, and then there would also just be all the people in the community because 
it was understood that a rupture, even within a family, ripples out into the community. And also that that family needs a whole community around it in order to, to, to repair that rupture. And, mm. um, you know, and so, I mean, I think that is in some ways what you were sort of acting like embodying when you went to the New York Times, you know, <laughs> like yeah. I'm calling in the community. Like, <laughs> right. Everyone's going to know right now. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. But, and then too, like what you were sharing, you know, about sort of looking for a partner and needing someone to hold you and needing someone to hug you, you know, and it's like, we do, we, we, we need to be held in those moments. And like, you know, maybe physically and maybe not physically and more of like a, a sort of metaphoric and spiritual and communal sense, but, and, you know, I think it's a both and kind of situation, but, um, but because again, we're taught that, that that level of intimacy and that level of vulnerability and rawness has only limited places we're allowed to express that, right? Like maybe our nuclear family, but then where do we go if that's fallen into respectability politics and there's mm -hmm. no space for our big feelings in our nuclear family because plenty of people have that experience, right? And so then we turn to like, then we're supposed to look for like, yeah, our close friends or our like partners, right? But it's all, again, at least in the westernized kind of world, like, you know, we, yeah, like the places where it's okay, quote unquote, or like, quote unquote, respectable to, to be sort of in the bigness of our feelings are really like behind closed doors and with like very limited numbers of people. And, yeah. and that sort of then leads us, yeah, to often looking for those people. Again, we're talking about like our motivations, our motivations may not be from the right place because what we actually need is communal levels of holding. And yet we're turning to one person to do that who may or may not have the capacity and the skills. <laughs> right. And um, I learned that too. <laughs> like, oops, sorry. Um. Yeah. Thank you, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely done, I've made that mistake before too of just like, because I've sort of, yeah, done this work to sort of just feel, to actually feel less shame in sharing than in holding in, right? Because shame mm. is what makes us want to hold it in. And yet, society sort of teaches us to feel the shame in sharing and and so I too have like you I think I'm more likely to just sort of like share what I'm feeling and then sometimes I'm like oops that person didn't have the capacity and right sorry <laughs> like <laughs> I take it back but I can't right. and so love and blessings let me just back out of your life I apologize <laughs> like <laughs> You let me know if you ever want to talk to me again. If not, I understand. <laughs> right, 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 right. You get a three month break. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think we are, we have a lot of dysfunction actually. And I, I mean that again, not in a shaming or judging way, but just in like a patterns of behavior kind of way, like non, not healthy functioning patterns of behavior around like I have to be alone in this because when I share, I share inappropriately or with the wrong people or I overshare and then like, oh my gosh, but I can't be alone in this because we're like literally not wired to be alone in it. And we, so it's like this swinging back and forth between like, mm -hmm. I need people to hold me in this, but oops, I might've done that without much skill or without much grace or might've asked the wrong people in the wrong ways. And so then I receive this feedback that I need to kind of do it all myself. And, you know, and so I was hearing that some in what you were sharing of kind of like, yeah, there's this independence, nobody's going to come save you. And yet at the same time, your impulse to want to share it and to want to be held wasn't wrong, you know? And so how do we like navigate that? And 
Um, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of trial and error. Yeah. <laughs> As I've learned. I mean, yeah. and I think with like, even with like, with my, you know, my tribe, I chose a family, like, yeah, there's a lot of trial and error, but I, I feel like now because of the experience of going through that and like talking with my friends and family, like since then, like I now, I think I know more about how, like what kind of capacity they have. Like, I think it's like hard to ask like in advance, like what is your capacity? Cause like, right. I don't think anyone really knows, right? No. Like, especially when you're dealing with like murder, right? Like, right. like oh, by the way, like <laughs> the number of times that I've like been out with some, like I was like, I was like, you know, friends or whatever. And I was like, oh yeah, like I witnessed a murder. And they're like, I did, I was not ready for that. I'm, I'm sorry. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I just assumed we were there every we were there. I'm so sorry. Um, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's like, it's, 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 it's fine. You know? You, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And sometimes, you know, I mean, sometimes I know for me, it's been a practice of getting better at recognizing my capacity and then being able to verbalize it. And so sometimes mm. people come at me with something and I'm saying, look, I'm not telling you, you can't tell me that. And I'm not, but like today, maybe my capacity is not what it would be on another day or like, yeah. or like here are the, I actually need you to kind of just move your body physically back a little bit. So I have a little bit more physical space. Mm. And now let's have the hard conversation because I just need to feel a little more physical space. I'm not disconnecting from you emotionally or like energetically, but I need a little more physical space, you know, Mm. but, but it is. And, and sometimes I don't know what my capacity is on that day until all of a sudden it's like, oops, that just crossed my boundary. Or like, that's just put me over the edge. And like, now I need to backpedal a little bit and like, and like, go ahead and check in and say like, okay, what actually, what do I need right now? So that, you know, this person can still feel seen and heard, but I'm, mm. you know, and I'm still showing up for them. And yet I'm also honoring like what my capacity is on this day, but it's, yeah, that's been a, that's been a practice. And that's been uh, like, that's a lot of tools <laughs> that I it's a lot of tools have yeah. been building. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. No, I am um, part of, you know, just part of my, you know, tour of life my eat pray love tour um yeah so one of the things too i went so well part of the beginning of part of it i went to california to go visit some friends and um one, like they're all like very like foo foo hoo hoo foo hoo whatever like and i was like this is that's cute but uh one of the things they taught me was the thing called um epm so emotional physical mental and just like doing a check-in on like where you are, like mm. giving yourself a scale of like one to 10, mm-hmm. using adjectives to describe like where you are in all of them. Yeah. And I found that to be like single-handedly like, one of the best tools. Like I try to like incorporate that and in, like check-ins with like friends and stuff. Just like, yeah, we're like before you, before you even talk, like what are you bringing into this space? And yeah. just like taking like the two or three minutes just to say, oh yeah, like I'm feeling, I'm emotional, I'm a, I'm a seven. And like, these are the adjectives that are coming up. Um, and like it, really works like when mm. we tried it out I was like this like like really we're we're doing this right now I'm like yeah. oh no it's it's amazing like yeah you know it's a good starting point well the power too of that practice is a lot of times when we're going through challenge it's like everything in our life collapsed down around that challenge right and we forget that like okay yeah like things might feel super shitty right now but like oh look the sun's shining over there and like that's actually pretty and like there's a mm. little if I can't find joy today, I can at least find some neutrality in looking at the sun mm. or like the shittiness feels at least less shitty, you know? And, yeah. and, and so there's something too about separating out like, okay, emotionally I might be a mess, but actually physically my body feels okay. And like, mm. 
you know, and, and so it's good to kind of separate those things out a little bit too, and not collapse them all, not let them all collapse into one or like you start to realize like, oh, wow, I'm having a physical issue actually. And that's then spiraling my emotions and my thoughts out. Mm. But like, maybe those things don't need to spiral out if I can just acknowledge that it's actually just my body that's feeling uncomfortable today. Or like, yeah. it lets us kind of start to draw some distinctions between some of those aspects of us so that we, we don't all, like then when people are like, how are you? We're not just like, I don't know. And then we just right. like verbal diarrhea, everything. You know? Totally. Or you just say, I'm fine. You're like, well, right. can you be a little more specific? Yeah. <laughs> What's yeah. that actually mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, kind of coming back to some of this, um, this conversation around sort of community, I know we've sort of spoken briefly, but I haven't heard a whole lot yet. You did end up going on a safari trip to Tanzania, correct? I sure That's did. Your eat, pray, love journey. And yeah, so I want to open it up to kind of share a little bit more. And particularly, I think some of what you were sharing around with me a little bit earlier about sort of the village and what you kind of noticed about, yeah about the yeah. role of community actually, and the sense of, of connection with other people and other humans um, or even beyond humans in our, in our healing and in our yeah, repair process. Totally, no, so yeah, so I went on, I went on safari in August of 2022. Um, and it was, it was for, like, first of all, the, the trip was kind of spur of the moment. I think I made a decision in April to go. Um, it just like kind of happened, like, you know, I was texting my, one of my friends in the Netherlands and we were like, oh, do we go? I'm like, okay, sure. So like, we got connected with this amazing, um, this amazing safari guide, her name is Sophie. Um, a, she's a, she's a Tanzanian woman, um, which is a, a super rare for guides and operators of safaris mm -hmm. to even be women. But then two, a lot of safari guides are, um, a lot of companies are based in Europe and America. So all the money leaves Tanzania. But um, all of, since she says me, and she that's all going to be back in Tanzania. Um, and one of the and one of the groups that she supports is a school for young girls who are escaping female circumcision. So it's just really, it's, again, it's just like really great that she's like trying to uplift girls and uplift education and whatnot. So hearing that, I was like, absolutely, I have to go on the safari with you. But um, so being in Tanzania was just absolutely life changing. Um, I my it was my first time in Africa, my first time in Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and just like seeing people who look like me mm. was just eye-opening. Um, mm. And the fact that like, even though like I have no Tanzanian ancestry as far as I know, the number of people who said to me, welcome home, mm. was just so, it just, it was just so beautiful. And I just was not into, as I was not expecting something so little like that to like mean so much. Mm. Um, and again, like, again, it's just like this sense of community that like, they recognize like oh we're part of the diaspora together we're all african right like you're one of us even if like you you know from the other side of the continent and then over you know a body of water like they still recognize that, like i'm part of them so that was just really beautiful um being there like just seeing just like you know we were like in the car and just like seeing like black children and adults and like every, everyone was black and it was just that was just so great just to like see that like I hopped on a plane black pilots black flight attendants mm -hmm. like I'm that's something that you just don't see here um so just to be able to like be in a place where people look like me was just eye-opening mm -hmm. um and I didn't think I didn't realize that that would be that big mm -hmm. for that like I didn't realize like that's what I was missing like I don't and mm -hmm. I guess because I never had it before I've never been 
in a place where everyone was black. Um, so that was really great. Um, I also realized my own privilege as an American, um, as someone who can also afford to go on safari um, and to be in those spaces where, you know, on average, I think, you know, the, 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 the amount that Tanzanians make, I think it's like, I think it's probably the equivalent of like $400 a year, maybe. It's like not a whole lot, or maybe it's $400 a month. I don't know. Either way, it's not, it's not, Ameri- it's not comparative to like Western countries. Um, but, to, but despite all that, despite, you know, seeing, seeing folks who like would protect, like, you know, if they were American, they'd be, they'd be impoverished, right? But like, they had so much joy. They had community. They were laughing. I mean, you know, there was just something about being able to see people who just seemed happy given what they had with them, in front of them, that I, I feel like as Americans, it's something that we're missing, right? Like, we, we can have all that. You have your, your new iPhone. You can have your new TV. You have your car, all this stuff. And, like, you have your new house with your air, nice air conditioning and a washer dryer. And, like, it's just still something that's just, like, the community is missing. Um, mm. I mean, I blame I blame suburbia and white supremacy, but <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, but like, yeah, it's something that's like missing. Like, and I like, and it was just really beautiful to like be able to go from village to village to village and just see that, like, the fact that I was able to encounter people who didn't even have running water. Like, they would walk, you know, 15, 20 kilometers to go get water. Um, but still were just had joy in their hearts because like that's just their life and they, that's they're fine with that um and like I feel like if that happened to me I just I would not I would not have the same amount of joy but like <laughs> that's it's just a different it's a different perspective and I would I just felt so um so I feel blessed and honored to be able to like be in that space um and witness that um it just 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 very happy from my own life Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course there's the actual safari itself where you know after I would say that I, I think going on safari is amazing I think everyone should go to sub-saharan Africa if you can I think you should go on safari if you can afford it I think one of the things that was really eye-opening for me was seeing a cheetah eating a gazelle mm-hmm. um, and also actually there's that and also a leopard eating an impala and I just came to realize it's like you know like you see these animals just like floating around and like, you know, hanging around eating their grass or whatever. And in a moment, mm. it's like that, your life is gone mm. and you are now part of the ecosystem, like feeding someone else. Mm. And it just really made me realize that the importance of being present, mm. the importance of like just showing up for yourself because like, you know, I mean, I'm not going to try to like, you know, add like a uh, human attributes to this gazelle, but I'm like, you know, maybe the gazelle has some dreams and hopes, you know, like maybe it wanted to eat some grass over there. Maybe it was waiting to like, you know, have a baby at some point, have a little gazelle running around and they didn't get it. Like in a moment, like those dreams and aspirations didn't matter anymore. They were yeah. eaten, you know? So just like being mindful of the fact that like at any moment it can just end. So just like try to live the way you can now because yeah, it, it can just end. Um, so yeah. But like, also that's part of life, right? And mm-hmm. that's like, there's a beauty in that too. That mm-hmm. like, yes, it's gruesome to see. Um, yes, it's 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 sad to think that you know, a three year old gazelle was just eaten. But like, that's life. And like, is feeding a cheetah who's hungry, who's pregnant, and with her with her cubs, 
so she can eventually have little cheetah cups too and they can do whatever they do as she does so like yeah just like recognizing that there's like this whole cycle of life that's like happening and like just like the beauty of that mm -hmm. um one other thing is uh so they actually say hakuna matata all the time in tanzania um i thought that was disney um, they legit say <laughs> <laughs> i would have a lot of trouble taking it seriously at this point thanks timon and pumbaa but yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh my God, like the number of times we heard like Hakuna Matata, like just for anything. They're like, oh, you know, like, you know, there's like, you know, the Rosala Bumpy Hakuna Matata or like, you know, and it's just like, oh my gosh, like that became like such a mindset that I'm like, all right, let me like embody Hakuna Matata and just like, this is what it is. Like, let the universe guide me and let's see what happens and mm. Hakuna Matata, you know? Mm. And so far things have been really good. Just Hakuna Matata my way through September. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of, a, I'm aware as you're talking of sort of just, um, well, first off, I mean, what a powerful metaphor for you, like healing, healing metaphor to sort of I feel like nature, yeah, we don't want to completely anthropomorphize it, but at the same time, like it is part of our kin, right? And so it is sort of there in some ways to mirror back to us symbolically certain things that maybe we need to see. And like, what a, what a powerful um, res similarity resonance with like your experience with your brother and your uncle, you know, and, yeah. and kind of, yeah, seeing sort of that, that life and that death and sort of that abrupt ending and yet also kind of the larger being able to see the larger like scope of kind of okayness around that even while obviously it's like in the moment maybe not okay for all the all the participants in it you know and um and yet at the same time it's also not not okay you know and and mm like I'm aware as you're speaking of sort of all these different like beautiful tensions and I, how I think so much of like our work as humans and being more human, you know, and, and being able to then be in this level of village, in this level of connection and community with ourselves and each other is like building our capacity to hold more of these paradoxes and these tensions and kind of that and space of like, of not trying to like glorify poverty and like, oh, they're so happy even though they have nothing, you know, and yet also mm -hmm. they are. And like, what does that show us about sort of our own disconnects that we have mm -hmm. so much and yet are also so deeply unhappy, you know? Right. And like, and so the tension of like, you know, I know like that whole like money can't buy net happiness. And yes, at the same time, like it also can buy some things that are pretty important for us to like meet, like, you know, to have in order to like survive. <laughs> Um, and, and yeah, but then also, I mean, just so many like beautiful, yeah, tensions, like the life and the death and the, um, feeling like you're coming home and yet also feeling a little bit like an outsider and, you know, and, and just, um, yeah, there were more too, when you were speaking that now have kind of flown out of my head, but yeah, just a lot of like beautiful, those beautiful tensions, those beautiful spaces of like, can we hold things that seem opposite or seem like they mm -hmm. shouldn't be able to exist at the same time, like one in each hand and just like be, be like, yeah, this is life. And like, this yeah. is what it is to, to be here and to be human and to, um, 
Yeah. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I mean, I think that there is this, and maybe that's like part of the reason why this Eat, Pray, Love trip was so great is that mm-hmm. like there was this like realization that like, yeah, like two opposite things can be true at the exact same time. And that mm-hmm. is A-okay. And like mm-hmm. learning to be okay with that. Like, I think for like, we're not, we're taught not that that's not okay, right? Like, that's why I hate a math class. Cause like, there's only one answer. I was like, BS, no, there's multiple, there's <laughs> actually multiple answers. Don't tell me, like, freaking pre-calc, I hate that class. Um, like, I just don't like that. Like, but like, I think it's like, it, like, with life, it's, it's okay to like have these two, like, incongruent thoughts and ideas and feelings, like, sitting mm. there. Um, and to like, then like own that. And I think like by accepting that we can show up better for ourselves mm-hmm. um, and for each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just feel like because of all of this, like, I just feel like I'm, I, again, like I, yeah, like I think the, the metaphor before of like being at the eye doctor, like I just have these different prescriptions with my eyes now. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I see things differently. I, I walk into rooms differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I love differently um, mm-hmm. in a way that I just wasn't expecting before. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just feel like it was, it, it was just such a, it, it's prepared me for whatever the next phase is of my life. And mm-hmm. I'm, and yeah, I mean, this wouldn't have happened if the stuff with my brother didn't happen, right? Like, I just don't think that, it, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have happened the same way, uh, if at all. Mm-hmm. So, happy, for, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's like, you thoughts, like, I don't, I didn't want that to happen, but I'm really happy I want a safari. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, because when we're resisting, like if we're trying to figure out which, when we're, whenever we're dealing with things that seem like they shouldn't be able to exist at the same time, and we're trying to choose which one we would rather have exist than the other one, right? If we're trying, if we're, if we're still believing that those two things can't exist at the same time, and we're trying to figure out which one we'd rather have, or which one's more legitimate, or which one's more real, or whatever it is that we're trying to do in that moment, we're like, actually, like, to kind of bring it full circle, we're othering ourselves, you know, we're Mm. othering, like, parts of ourselves, and, and we know how othering feels, we talked about it at the beginning of this conversation, and, like, it does not feel good, and, yeah, (laughs) at all, (laughs) Um, yeah, and so, there's something about being able to be in that and space in that paradox and hold those two things at the same time. That means then that, yeah, we shame dissolves a sense of otherness on the inside dissolves and you're right. Then we can walk into rooms differently and we can express ourselves differently and we can love differently because we feel whole and complete like within, within ourselves. And then we aren't needing others to fill the places where we don't feel whole and complete so we can let others be whole and complete and we can love ourselves and love them you know the the love feels very different when it's from wholeness and about wholeness rather than when it's like from fragmentation and otherness and about like fragmentation and otherness (laughs) yes yes i mean Mm. life is a giant improv class it's all about yes and right (laughs) (laughs) Uh uh-huh oh my gosh oh no (laughs) yeah did you ever watch the tv show lucifer I see like a few episodes. I, okay. I don't watch it too much, but there's an episode where one of the characters has gotten into into improv and um and so Lucifer's like trying to get the whole like yes and and so he just walks around saying yes and to everything all episode. Oh, no. It's really funny. Anyway. I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um 
Lovely. Well, I kind of feel like we're sort of naturally like kind of coming to a landing the plane kind of place here, at least for today. Um, and I mean, I just, I so appreciate everything you shared and just like your vulnerability and your journey and your strength and your courage and your joy and your beauty and your love. And um, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for making the space. I, I really appreciate it. I mean, I love, you know, I love our conversations. We've been doing this since... <laughs> 14. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's been a long time. Yeah. You know, I, I still have a very sharp memory of going to go see the Mexican with Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts. Oh my gosh. You. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like I still love that movie. And every time I, I see it, I think of you. Cause I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah, we did. We went to movies together. We went to high school yeah. dances together. Oh my God. Yeah. You're my, you're, what's your, my prom date? <laughs> One year? Yeah. Uh, One year. Junior prom, right? Was it junior prom? Or was it, hum- I, or was it homecoming? We went to homecomings know. a lot. Yeah, we, we were, because okay. we just got to rock out together and have fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. I should like send you the picture. And I have like our photo together. I'll send it to you. <laughs> oh, I think that was a homecoming. I think. I think it was. Think yeah. Yeah. I think I still have one of those too. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> long time ago we were babies then literal babies literal babies (laughs) no idea what life was gonna throw at us (laughs) right oh man um yeah well yeah I just yeah so thank you for being here and I like to sort of end like my podcast episodes people who have um you know who have businesses I like to give them a chance to kind of shout out what they're about in the world and obviously you don't necessarily run your own business but um yeah so is there something you'd like to uplift or like something you'd like to sort of signal boost something you want to like draw some attention to or give a shout out to in the world Yes, absolutely. Um, so currently right now there is a water crisis in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, and I think we all need to be, pay, be paying attention to this because, you know, water is, is a, it's something that we all need as humans. And the fact that, it, you know, communities of color are being so disenfranchised and not be able to get something that's so basic as water mm-hmm. is a huge issue. Um, I know there's lots of organizations that are um, helping out with that, but I just really want to like bring attention to like, you know, there's places you can donate. Um, you know, you can send water, send money, uh, just to help to help the communities because it makes absolutely no sense that that because of years of systemic racism that you know black people can't drink water. Yeah, I mean, Flint um, still doesn't have clean water. Flint Michigan exactly still doesn't. It, and that's like that's been how many it's years now? Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And we're going to see more and more of those issues as climate, as the climate crisis continues to worsen, because it does always, shouldn't say always, but frequently disproportionately impacts communities of color, um, just because of, yeah, locate like gentrification and, and, you know, districting and zoning and all of all of that kind of stuff and just where people can set up houses and what access they have to resources and building materials and structural integrity of the buildings where they live and all of that, you know, and then um, as water levels continue to rise and storms continue to get worse and temperatures Oof. continue to change, like get more extreme, yeah. you know, the, yeah, it is, it affects, yeah, communities of yeah. color first, yeah. usually. 
disenfranchised communities, of course, of any color, but then particularly communities of color as well. Absolutely. I mean, we're Mm -hmm. seeing it in Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic too right now with all the hurricanes. So it's, it's a mess. It's a mess. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, well then I'll have, if you send me some of the organizations that you, cause I know sometimes people feel overwhelmed, like by trying to pick which organization and some organizations are better than others. And so right. if you have some, if you've already done that research and have some, then you can send them to me. I'll put them in the show notes so people can kind of, yeah, connect in um, if they feel called. And um, if people want to reach out to you, are you willing to sort of share, I think you mentioned your Instagram handle maybe. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it is Micah has the floor, uh, Micah, M-I-C-A-H has the floor because uh, I was running for office and I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Cause like I have the floor, but also like I like to dance. So it's like a combination of both. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so check that out. Um, I also have like a link on in my Instagram profile that also includes like reference uh, links to um, Jackson, Mississippi stuff and, all, and other organizations as well that do great work with like, you know, abortion, re- like reproductive rights and right yeah. for things like that. So yeah. yeah, very happy to get connected with people. Awesome. Love it. And yeah, I'll again, have the, have your handle too in, in the show notes so people can find you. So um, yeah, thank you again, friend, for joining us around the bonfire for this episode oh, and just bringing your perspective and your experiences and your life and, um, and, and in being vulnerable and in being courageous and in being loving, um, you know, offering that to others and offering that example and that inspiration to others. And so thank you for making this space you are such a gem and i i can't wait to come back yay good i can't wait to have you again yay so yeah so let's all just kind of take a few deep breaths in and out to kind of close our space and just and start to invite in integration too you know i mean this conversation we we covered a lot (laughs) um and also you know it's it's we really dug into some of what it feels like in our bodies to be in those places. And so it might have stirred up things for you and maybe those things feel still raw or maybe those things feel um, like you too are having the awareness of like, oh man, how far you've come, you know? And, and so let's just honor like whatever we're kind of, the same way we honored whatever we were bringing into the conversation, let's also honor however we're leaving the conversation. and nothing to fix, nothing wrong. Um, and just knowing that, that through these types of communal, communal conversations, communal ritual spaces, you know, we are transformed and we are healed and we are changed by them. And so we, we welcome that. And, um, and know too, if it's stirred up some stuff that you need professional help with, like, great, get it. (laughs) All about it. absolutely (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah so with deep honor and respect we just kind of close out our time together we close out this particular fire space and um and yeah we'll see you next time in the meantime of course feel free to it always helps if you share the episodes with people you know in your life who would appreciate it it helps um if you can rate it wherever you can rate it you know subscribing and liking and whatever all else you can do just helps um helps more people find the podcast so if you like these conversations and you want more people to to have access to them then 
help us help you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, all right. With deep love. Thank you.